Turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 23. How many know when we look in the Bible, there are very practical things that we see in the Bible? I mean, you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to have gone to Bible college to understand the Bible. Jesus told us, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, if our culture had more of that, we'd have less racial hostility. I mean, no, very simple commands of the Bible, love your neighbor, treat other people you way want to be treated. I mean, no, we'd have less acts of violence. So the Bible is a practical book, but the Bible is also a supernatural book. The Bible talks about things that are outside our realm of being able to control. God's out there, and the Bible talks, shows us how God intervenes in human affairs, how God speaks to people, and how God manifests Himself in the world. And I want to look at one such scene this morning, Acts chapter 23. Paul, the great apostle, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. At this stage of his life, he's just gone to Jerusalem. He has talked about Christ. The crowds have gone, become angry. Uh, he had to be rescued by Roman soldiers. And now he's talking to the Jerusalem council. It's the religious leaders. They're called Pharisees and Sadducees. Sadly, they were much more like politicians, Democrats and Republicans, than spiritual leaders. But he's talking about Christ in their presence. And verse 10 says this, when the dissension became violent, in other words, these supposedly spiritual people uh, began to uh, argue and fight against each other because of Paul's words, he said the tribune or the, or the religious leaders, they were afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces. So they commanded the soldiers, take him by force and bring him in the barracks. Now look at verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him. Now isn't that an incredible passage? To think about a believer just like you. He was the Apostle Paul, but you know what? He was like you and he was like me. He was a Christian. He was on a mission from God. And somehow Jesus appeared to him. And Jesus said these words. He said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Now, how many know Paul felt stronger after that encounter? Paul felt more encouraged to go forwards. Uh, Biblical scholars are somewhat disagreed on whether this was a literal appearance of Christ, a Christophany, or whether it was a vision. Paul had five visions of the Lord, and a vision, as we learned last week, a vision is like a, a spiritual picture or a spiritual movie where God would show us things. Uh, Paul told us, uh, actually Peter told us, he quoted from the book of Joel on Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. He said in the last days, God was going to cause your sons and daughters to prophesy. Your old men would dream dreams and your young men would see visions. So this idea of God's supernatural communication was part of the fabric of the New Testament. But anyway, uh, in Acts chapter 18, verse 9, uh, we're reminded of one of Paul's visions. It said, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He spoke to Paul and he said, don't be afraid, keep on speaking and don't be silent. So here we see part of the supernatural side of the Bible, the supernatural side that where God supernaturally communicates. I want to share a little personal family story with you. It happened to my grandparents, my grandparents who've gone to be with the Lord. We recorded uh, their stories probably 20 years ago. Uh, they had immigrated from the Baltic state of Latvia, and they came not because they just wanted to visit America like you would today, but at that time, the, the Russia was expanding her influence and control, and Russia was taking over their nation, and uh, my grandparents fled for their lives. It's a little picture of my grandfather. It's what, not a digital picture, so it's a bit fuzzy. But he just, when he got to America, he, he didn't fish. He never owned a car. He worked hard. 
He landed on, the, on, on a boat by New Orleans. Someone had sponsored he and my grandmother, their family. My mom was 12 at the time. Uh, they, they sponsored them when they got off the ship. They worked on a turkey farm. Uh, they, they came to North Mississippi where I was raised, had a dairy. He loved to fish, spoke broken English, uh, never owned a car, but was a hard worker. And I never knew him to be a real spiritual man. Now, they would go to church, but I, I never knew him to be a spiritual man. And I'm going to read a little bit of, of, of a journal. My wife and I recorded their story, kind of a sound of music story, and I'm going to go briefly through some of it. But he begins by saying, uh, lists had been prepared. That is, the lists of the, quote, bad people. When the Russians were coming in, they wanted to get rid of the opposition. These lists were prepared in Moscow, not in Latvia. He went on to say that a friend called him and told him to go hide because they were coming to arrest him. My grandfather was the postmaster. In the middle of the night, these two men broke in their room with guns, and I heard my grandmother said these words, I heard, hands up. And there they were. You see, they'd already taken our, our weapons away from us. Isn't that amazing? That's how dictators do. Dictators first come in and they take the weapons of the people, and then the people are helpless. It's amazing today how the Second Amendment is under attack in America today by people who say they have a better agenda. But it concerns me deeply. The weapons have been taken away from us. He went on to say these people that were arrested, they just disappeared without a trace. That night, 90 people were taking from, taken from our town. The week before, about 34,000 people had been taken across our nation in one night. We asked what happened to them, and she said they were probably sent to concentration camps or, or death camps. So with that background, I want you to listen to the words of my grandfather. He said, I was arrested, and they put us in a truck, and they took us and put us in a jail cell. There were 19 people in the room. It was a very small room. It was full, and we were praying. Now, my grandfather was a Lutheran. They were praying, and in the daytime, I saw Jesus Christ. I'd never heard my grandfather say much of a religious thing in his life. And in this little story, now mind you, I'm going in the ministry, and that caught my, I saw Jesus Christ. He came in, and he said, fear not. At the same time, they opened the door, and they came to check in, they came in with shotguns. Jesus Christ was in that place. He went out, and then we went out. And then he said, they tied my hands with barbed wire, put me in a truck, and went on to say, gave us a shovel to dig our grave. And uh, the front shifted between the Germans and Russians. They let him go, and they, and they left to come to America. But that phrase, when he said, Jesus appeared to me and said, fear not, didn't that sound just exactly like what happened to the Apostle Paul? Yeah. He said, when he's in Jerusalem, fear not. Because Jesus said, I'm with you, I'm going to take care of you. Now, whenever I have a spiritual experience that lines up with the Bible, how many know you want to pursue that experience? And whenever you read things in the Bible that are, is the standard of truth for us, I want those things to happen in me. In other words, I want the supernatural in my life. I, the same things that happened in the life, the pattern of the life of Jesus, the early disciples, the early church, through the pages of the New Testament, we can have faith to believe those things can happen in our lives too. How many can say amen to that? Well, that's what I want to talk about. Now, I've been doing a series called Voices. We talked about the voices of people that influence us. We talked about Satan's voice to influence us. And last week, if you remember, we talked about the voice of the Holy Spirit. And you remember we talked about what the New Testament says about how God communicates with people supernaturally. First and most importantly, God communicates with us through the Bible, the written Word of God. It's the standard by which we would judge anything else spiritual, whether it's true or it's false. But the Bible also says God speaks to us through dreams and visions, through something called prophecy, through spiritual gifts. 
In 1 Corinthians, Paul named nine spiritual gifts. For example, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a prophecy. Uh, God speaks to us that way. God also speaks to us through, uh, we'll call it a still small voice, the inner witness of peace. For example, if you're praying, uh, Charles Stanley was one of my heroes growing up as a young minister, and I would listen to him, and he'd talk about his prayers and how he felt the Lord was leading him, you know, to preach that message, and I scratched my head a little bit, and I thought, well, now, wait a minute. You're a dispensationalist. You believe that stuff happened for yesterday, but this guy was a little ahead of his time, and he was talking about how the Lord would give him confirmation in decisions. Well, all this is in the Bible, and I hope this morning that I can challenge whatever you may believe at this point in your life, uh, that I can challenge you about how God would would speak to us supernaturally. And uh, I hope it's going to help you today because I know it's, it's helped my life. Let me continue this series, and this morning's message is entitled Spirit Talk. It's the language of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Acts chapter 19, and I, and I want to make this statement, is that the Holy Spirit inspires what I'm going to call supernatural conversation. How many know as a Christian, for me to even be saved and born again was a supernatural experience? You don't get saved intellectually. You don't get saved rationally, even though the, the, the gospel presentation is a rational message. I'm saved by a supernatural thing. When God takes the veil across from my face, revelation comes to me. God reveals himself, and all I do is say yes. But we, we, we live in the culture that was given to us by the Greeks. Uh, we have thrown out faith from our culture. Science and reason tend to define everything. And we've kind of slipped into that. And sometimes as believers, if we can't put it under a microscope, if we can't see it, feel it, touch it, we think the same way that the world does. But the Scripture shows us that God is a supernatural God. And the Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit, that salvation, comes to live inside us. Only problem, you cannot go to the doctor and say, remove the Holy Spirit from me. You can't do that. But yet somehow, this supernatural God has placed His touch on my life. Let's look at Acts chapter 19, verse 1. It's a very interesting passage. Paul the apostle, he came to the city of Ephesus, and he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, what an odd question. The Bible teaches us in Romans that if we have not the Spirit, we're none of His. When, Christ, when you receive Christ as your Savior, what happens is I understand the Bible is somehow God by His Spirit comes to dwell in me. But yet Paul is recognizing that there's something extra, a second experience, a, a fullness of the Holy Spirit that these believers needed. So he asked the question, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, well, into what were you baptized? In other words, water baptism. And they said, John's baptism. Now, this word baptism is an interesting word. It's actually an English transliteration of a Greek word, baptizo. There was not a word uh, equivalent to their word in English, so they just, you know, took the word and made it an English word. But the word baptism, just like happened to the little kids, they were baptized or immersed in water. Uh, John the Baptist, as we'll see, his baptism was a baptism of repentance, calling people to be immersed in a life change where they turn from their sin and begin to follow Christ. The word baptized, Moses taught in the, in the New Testament tells us the Israelites were baptized into Moses in the cloud. Uh, and now we'll see this same phrase is applied to the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who is to come after them, that is Jesus. So now what he's done is he's corrected their theology so they understand the progression from John the Baptist to Christ. But then what he did, he said he baptized them in water, verse 5. On hearing this, they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Now, how many would agree that these people are Christians? See, I ask a question and you respond. This is a responding church. You respond more, I'll preach less. How about that? I lost my train of thought. Never happens to you, I'm sure. They're Christians. I have never heard anyone on either side of the whole charismatic world. And how many know that the whole Pentecostal, Holy Spirit, all this is a big division in the body of Christ? Uh, there's, there, there's people I've been in churches and seen books where it says, why speaking in tongues is of the devil. I mean, there's a huge division across the body of Christ. But I've never had anyone offer an intelligent response to this particular passage where believers are now about to have a second experience with the Holy Spirit. It's a special thing. Verse 6, Paul laid his hands on them. In other words, there was a spiritual transference appropriately. Perhaps he touched their head or he did something like that. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit came on them. And then they did something called speaking in tongues or in an unlearned language and began to prophesy. So this is the, one of the clearest accounts in the New Testament of people who are believers, but then they have a supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit. And can you say, it was a good thing? Yeah, a supernatural encounter. Now, John the Baptist called this experience they had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist prophesied in Mark 1.8, John said, I have baptized you with water, but Jesus will do what? In other words, just like into the watery grave, somehow there is a fullness of the Holy Spirit. Woo! A fullness that wants to come in our lives, and Jesus would do that. Now, the interesting thing is most of the time in the book of Acts, when you see this baptism in the Holy Spirit, there's some verbal response involved in it. There's some supernatural communication, and it's called to speak in tongues or speak in an unlearned language and to prophesy. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to kind of clear that up because I guarantee you we're from all over the perspective about this message today. When I talk about prophecy, or, or, and, and prophecy is a very simple term. As we talked about last week, prophecy is simply not just the predictive element, though it's there, but prophecy by and large in the New Testament are believers who have the Holy Spirit in them, and the Holy Spirit shows them something about another person, and they simply tell them that to encourage them and to bless them and to help them. Now listen, everybody wants to be blessed, helped, and encouraged, but boy, if you talk about this other one, about speaking in tongues, you're going to have people digging their heels in the ground. We're just all over, the, all over the room on it. But I want to go into the Bible and see what the Bible had to say. I fear sometimes we're, we're often guided too much by a past experience or what someone told us uh, rather than the Bible itself. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, let's talk about this now, about the Holy, this language of the Holy Spirit. Now, before we understand 1 Corinthians 14, we've got to go back and understand the context for the book. Uh, and I want to ask you kind of a trick question. How many believe the Bible was written to us? Let me see your hand. Okay. All right. This book of Corinthians. How many believe the book of Corinthians was written to us? Okay. Now, I'm going to have to disagree. The book of Corinthians was written to the church in Corinth. However, it has great application to us today because it's the inspired Word of God. It teaches us. But originally, it was written to a certain group of people. Now, the book of Corinthians, unlike Romans, Romans is a book of what I'll call pure theology. In other words, he's establishing the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith, whereas the book of Corinthians is simply to solve problems. 
Uh, if you have a good study Bible, which I highly recommend, I'm currently using the ESV study Bible. If you looked at the outline of Corinthians, you'd see it's pretty much from one problem to another problem to another problem. So as we look here, 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, he says, in the following directives. So now we've got to listen. What's he talking about? In the following directives, <laughs> I've got no praise for you, for your church meetings do more harm than good. Now, how would you like to be the pastor of that church? And the great apostle Paul said, hey, look, I'm coming to your church, but your church is messed up. That's what he's saying. And if you read the following chapters, you'd see, first of all, they were messed up because there was divisions in their midst. There was an economic division, an economic divide. It produced another problem. It produced a problem in communion with the results of, the scripture says, many are weak, sick, and dying. I mean, no, that's a problem. Why? Because they failed to discern the body of Christ. And now a third problem is uh, what they were doing in their church services was causing confusion and not building people up because rather than using this gift of prophecy, they were speaking in tongues loudly, drawing attention to themselves. Nobody understood it, and it was confusion. And that's what he says, I'm going to straighten out for you. So look at chapter 14. First of all, he says, pursue love. That's chapter 13, the great love chapter. And I want you to say this next phrase with me. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Let's all say it again. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now let me ask you this. If, if Scripture says, love your neighbor, how many would take that as a command? How many, if the Scripture says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, how many would take that as a command? Well, why wouldn't we take this as a command? Earnestly desire. And let me know earnestly is more than just a casual. But somehow there needs to be, in, in my life as a believer... In your life as a believer, there needs to be a desire for these spiritual gifts. Now, he talked about nine of them in chapter 12. He talked about, uh, as I said, these vocal gifts, the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy. He talked about a gift of miracles. He talked about the gift of faith. Uh, he talked about discerning spirits. He talked about this gift of speaking in a language you didn't learn. He talked, talked about interpreting that gift. So what he's saying basically is, as the church, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst. And a portion of the Holy Spirit, a gift of the Holy Spirit is given to us, and we're supposed to ask God to give us these gifts. Is that kind of what it says? You're to desire these things. Just like if you desired, let's say, ladies, you come in church and you see whoever's uh, uh, leading in the style, you know, whoever's the most stylish, and you see that she's wearing this certain type of shoe, and you think, boy, I want to get me some like that. Or maybe you see somebody on television or some crazy magazine you read, and uh, I want those shoes. I desire those shoes, and it's going to compel you to go somewhere to get them. So just as you want to grow those shoes, we're supposed to go after these spiritual gifts. Now, the problem with this, though, is some of us have been taught, as I was in my early life, that these spiritual gifts, the whole supernatural, was for yesterday. When I was an early Christian, I was discipled by a guy. His name was John. John was a, well, uh, had a Schofield study Bible. And Schofield was very, very clear that when the book of Acts concluded or the apostles died, I think it was, or even perhaps when the Scripture was canonized, that we no longer needed the supernatural acts of God. The problem, though, is that might have been his experience, but you don't see that taught in a profound way in Scripture. Wouldn't you think if God wanted to stop the supernatural after having given four Gospels where Jesus, listen, the 12, the 70, and then the whole book of Acts was supernatural, wouldn't you think it would take a whole lot of Scripture later on to say that's not for today? Come on now. 
We say we believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God, but somehow we let a vague scripture in Corinthians, when that which is perfect is come, come on, we no longer need the temporary spiritual gifts, and we have done away with a whole supernatural element. That's one problem. Another problem is there's just been weirdness around it. Anybody been around anything weird in the Pentecostal type church? Boy, I have. I remember the first uh, uh, Pentecostal church I went in. It was an Assembly of God church in Adak, Alaska. I was in the Navy. I was probably 20 years of age. Uh, I was in love with Jesus. I got saved in boot camp through a Gideon. I was disciple through the Navigators in Millington, Tennessee. I got off an airplane in, in uh, uh, Adak, Alaska, uh, middle of nowhere. So now I'm looking for the Christians. Well, I went to the base chapel. It was a Unitarian chapel. Uh, he didn't have it. I went to the Catholic church. I didn't find what I was looking for there. And there were these two guys that came out of the chapel annex that morning. I mean, they had a guitar and big old Bibles with them. And I said, I'm going to talk to them. So I started talking to them and said, hey, yeah, we have church service tonight. And I'll never forget this. Down that chapel annex was a long hall into the meeting room. And I walked down that hallway and all these people had their hands in the air. And I thought, now mind you, now I was raised Methodist. I thought, I wonder if there's a gun in the room. Well, later on, there was an altar call, and the altar call asked if anyone was hungry for more of God's presence, something about the Holy Spirit, and I thought, shoot, that's me, so I go up there, and the weirdest thing, they started speaking in tongues, and, and I thought, now that is weird. I was, I was a little scared, I've got to be honest with you, but at the same time being scared when I left there, I had sensed the presence of the Lord in that place, so I had, I had kind of a kind of a pull in my life, what I, and I didn't know much of the Bible, and the good thing was, is they took me through the Bible and began to show me the supernatural part that I never knew was there, kind of like what I'm doing with you today. Well, anyway, I was hooked because the presence of the Lord drew me back. Now, uh, what verse are we on here? Verse 1, especially that you may prophesy. Now, we'll talk about that. Look at verse 2. And mind you now, this whole chapter is to try to fix the problem of confusion in the church. All right, verse, verse 2, uh, the one who speaks in tongues or in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. Now, don't you think that would be a good thing to be able to talk to God? I, I do too. For no one understands him. And the scripture doesn't suggest that anything's wrong with that. But he utters what? Mysteries in the spirit. Now, go back to the day of Pentecost. Uh, when, when they were speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost... Uh, they weren't speaking to God. They were speaking to men, opposite of this verse. And everybody understood them. Didn't they say on the day of Pentecost, we hear them speaking in languages, come on, our own native languages, glorifying God? That's a pretty incredible thing. I'm going to suggest he's talking about something different here. He's talking about the gift of tongues, the ability to be able to pray to God, to worship God when people don't understand, and also the interpretation of that that will help people. Now listen, tongues, again, this word, uh, it's a weird word, but the Greek word is glossolalia. It means to speak in a spiritual language that you didn't learn. It can be expressed as a private prayer language to God, or it can be expressed as a corporate expression where it would be interpreted. One of the nine gifts of the interpretation of this tongue, and, and God would speak. Uh, usually people don't understand it. Let me say this. God is the author of human language. Now, 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 you were probably taught in school like I was that language developed when cavemen started grunting. You're sitting in the cave, and it's dinner time, and he would... That's not how language started. In the Garden of Eden, come on, what did God do in the cool of the day? He came and talked to Adam and Eve. 
And we don't know what the language was, whether it was the Hebrew language or English, or it's pretty arrogant to say it's English. But the bottom line is they understood it. When Noah and his family got off the boat, one, they were all the people on the earth, they spoke one language, and one language dominated the earth until the Tower of Babel. Remember the Tower of Babel where God did what? Confuse the languages? These guys are building this pagan temple, and they ask, for a, uh, they ask in, let's say, in Aramaic, and they ask for a board, and the guy speaks in German. You say, how did he do that? That's impossible. Now, come on now. God is the giver of language, and God changed the languages. And then he asked for a hammer, and the guy responded in Italian, and everything stopped because they couldn't communicate. You realize the day of Pentecost reversed that whole thing? The day of Pentecost, the supernatural God intervened again, and rather than confusing languages, God made them understandable. So why would it be so hard to believe that God could give you a supernatural language, a language that you could communicate to Him, come on, in a very special way between you and Him? Why would it surprise us if God is the giver of language? I think the confusion, and if you, any of you have got your kind of feet digging in on me today, I think it's because of the excesses and error of the charismatic and Pentecostal churches. Isn't it amazing how a move of God typically deteriorates into a practice and we focus on the practice rather than the person of Jesus? Tongues can be a good thing to communicate with God, but if you come to church and that's the main thing, you've missed the main person who's Jesus. And in my opinion, you've missed the main purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8. You receive power, come on, when the Spirit comes upon you, not just to have a prayer language, but to be God's witness. I don't think they're unhappy. I think they're okay. <laughs> speaking in tongues, but it can be, it can be confusing. Uh, you know, they're speaking in tongues in all renewal movements across the denominations, uh, Catholics. Uh, I, I remember when I was in Japan, I would go on Thursday nights to a Catholic renewal service in the basic, uh, bas basement of the Catholic church, and uh, there were Catholics. I mean, listen, I walked through the hallway, and Mary and everything else is there, but these people are saved, they're born again, they love Jesus, and they're prophesying, they're praying in the Spirit. I mean, it's across the renewal movement. I have a quote from John Wesley. Now, I was raised Methodist. He's the founder of Methodism. Listen to what John Wesley said, if you can get that for me real quickly there. John Wesley said, My fear is that our people will become content to live without the fire, the power, the excitement, the supernatural element that makes us great. So this experience has been throughout Christian history, but it's still confusing a bit. Uh, let's see if we can help you. Verse 3 now, the one who prophesies, again, prophecy is simply hearing from God, hearing a word for someone that's going to help them. Prophecy, the scripture says, it strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Now, how many can say, I could be, I, I'd, I'd like to be encouraged today, come on, strengthen and help. Everybody in the room today. Come on, that, and, and, and Scripture says, is this prophecy, this ability to hear something from the Lord and share that with people. Now, Wednesday nights in the summertime, we're doing what we call nights of refreshing. And we have a great emphasis on the person of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Last Wednesday, there was a, there was a woman sitting here, and she said, right over here. And uh, anyway, I felt a prophecy or a word of knowledge for her, and it went something like this. Uh, is that uh, uh, the Lord's called you to a ministry to heal the brokenhearted just like Jesus. You've gone through some issues in your life where you could have become bitter, but rather than angry, you've kept the joy of the Lord. And listen, then I released her to be able to minister in the church because people need that. After church, she comes up to me and she said, oh, I'm so glad you said that to me. She said, while, while we were having church, there were three people that I felt the Lord wanted me to reach out to, but I was scared to do it until you, after you told me what you did, now I feel released to be able to minister in the body of Christ. So how many would say that's a good thing? 
Now, what is that? Now, I didn't have somebody in the back come on interviewing people. You know, I didn't have a little secret thing in my ear. I just heard something. But it, the Bible is filled with people. We're reading through the minor prophets in our Bible reading now. And every one of those prophets heard things, saw things, wrote them down, said them. How many know the same Holy Spirit's alive in us today? I'd have clapped too. Now look in verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue and unlearned language. Well, now this is a, great, a, a, a stretch for us. I understand that. Usually, if, if you said uh, you're going to go to China and you want to learn Mandarin Chinese, we have a missionary there, there now, uh, they had to take a year and a half or two years in language school. But the Scripture is teaching us is that God can give you a language that you didn't learn. Now, be careful before you say that's impossible. But notice what verse 4 says. The one who speaks in a tongue does what? Now, wouldn't you say building yourself up is a good thing? Anybody ever get discouraged? Anybody ever get depressed? I mean, I had some issues of anxiety I was dealing with when my wife's battle with cancer, and they would just kind of become overwhelming. I have a friend who's a psychologist, a Christian, and he said, you know, I was praying for you over this struggle that you're having right now. And he said, I think you need to pray in the Spirit more. I think you need to be using that prayer language more. And you know what? It helped me more than anything else. Come on now. I mean, there's something that's real here. You build yourself up. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. I want you all... No, he didn't say that, did he? He said, I want everybody from Arkansas to speak in tongues. I want all you that went to Bible college, I want you to speak in tongues. I want everybody under 40, I want you speaking it. No, he said, I want you... Now, who is all? Come on, all is the person who put your shoes on this morning. Okay. All. I want you all. This is, this, is, this is the same guy who wrote Timothy that said all Scripture, come on, is inspired by God. It's profitable for instruction, correction, etc., etc. All Scripture is by God. And here he said, I want you all to speak in tongues. But even more to prophesy. And it's not an either or. He said, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets why. So the And here's the issue. What he's saying in this whole chapter is basically this. It's a great thing to be able to pray in the Spirit, to worship in the Spirit. But look, don't let your Christian liberty be a stumbling block to other people. Because if you're in church and you're speaking in tongues loud, somebody else will freak out. They won't know what you're doing. They'll be driven from the room. And that's a bad thing because when we come together, everybody should be built up. During worship today, I prayed in the Spirit. I, I was singing in my spiritual language today. You didn't hear me because you're not supposed to because it was my worship to God. See, and that's an appropriate thing. I'm preaching way better than some of your amen. Some of you are just kind of scratching your head uh, today. And not only Paul was a Pentecostal, the brother of Jesus, Jude chapter 20. But you, beloved, what's it say? Building... Building yourself up in your most holy faith. Why? And praying in the Holy Spirit. So listen, I want to suggest to you, all I'm doing today is just reading the Bible. And maybe, you know, you were like I was at one day. Because I was kind of like this for a while until I really, really, really got into the Bible and understood that this is just Bible stuff. I've got to do something with it. Maybe you've had a bad experience with this. Uh, maybe false teaching. Maybe pride. But, but could all of us just say today, Lord, I want every good thing you have for me. I mean, nobody wants to be deceived. Nobody wants to be manipulated, you know. But all of us want every good thing that God has from us.
Listen, you and I may be in a spot like my grandfather was one day. Come on, in praying. Now, how many know when you're praying, guys have guns, come on, and there's shovels to dig your grave? How many know you need some Holy Ghost activity going on at that point in your life? You need to see a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of thing happening. And I'm telling you, this is supernatural. This is not just the, the natural aspects of, of, of Christianity. Look at verse 14. When I pray in tongues, what's it say? My Now, what does that mean? We don't have a clue because we're not comfortable with what our spirit is. Now, I'm comfortable with my body. If I look at my wife, I say, well, that's Linnell. No, I'm, I see Linnell's body. But biblically, Linnell is a spirit. She has a soul, mind, will, and emotions, and she lives in a body. Clear teaching of the New Testament. We're tripart, we're three, but we're one. Just like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and, and it's somehow our spirit. But see, we can't go to the, to, the, to the surgeon and say, take my spirit out. You'd be dead. See, when a person, when you see a corpse at the cemetery, at the funeral, listen, that's because they're gone. Who are they? Their spirit is gone to be with the Lord. Their identity, their personality, it's who they are. But the Scripture says when you pray in this wonderful language from God, your spirit's praying, but then it says, I don't understand what I'm saying. And as the Western, as we think today from our Greek history, uh, we're very uncomfortable with that. But can I tell you, the Bible says it's okay when we don't understand it. Now, that would have been a wonderful time to say amen. Let me read it again. We're going to back up, okay? Back up the tape here. When I pray in tongues, my spirit's praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. And it's okay. I forget which stories I tell in which service because we do three of them. But did I tell you the story about when I was filled with the Holy Spirit? You, you, were you not listening or what? Or you won't come? <laughs> I was in Alaska, and I'd been around this, this, uh, this church for a while. And, I mean, I was just sensing the Lord. But I became very frustrated over this whole, uh, whole thing we're talking about. I need you to give me about that's six or seven more minutes. Let me give me more six or seven more minutes today, okay? We had a lot of kids. Thank you. Six, 12, 18, 24. That's, that's plenty. That's all I need. Um, I'd been in church, and people had prayed for me. And, and, and it was a little weirdness there, but still it was rooted in the Bible. And I quote, nothing was happening. So I kind of got frustrated, and I said, now, Lord, if this is really you, I just want you to just show me. So I'm walking home from the base chapel all the way to the barracks, about an hour and a half, and beautifully, it's going to be Adak, Alaska, down the Aleutian chain. And I'm singing little simple praise choruses, and all of a sudden I find myself singing in a language that was not English. Now, this is a true story. I wasn't trying to do this, but this is what I did when I began singing this language and I realized it. I did this. I said, Methodists don't do that. <laughs> I'm just telling you, but as clear as a bell, I heard the Holy Spirit remind me of Luke 11, 11. If a, if a son asks the father for bread, will he give him a serpent? How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? So... I had to, at that moment, say, I'm going to believe God, even though my mind doesn't understand it. That's just me. Okay, we're going to wrap up here. I know lunch is going. Look at verse 15. <laughs> what am I going to do? That's what Paul said. What am I going to do? He said, I'm going to pray with my spirit. But I'll also pray with my mind. 
And then he said this, I will sing praise with my spirit. In other words, I'll worship in this language and I'll sing with my mind as well. In other words, there's times when I understand exactly what I'm saying, but then there's other times where there's this spiritual language. Otherwise, and here was the problem, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in a position of an outsider... Now, that didn't say just an unbeliever, but you could be someone that's not familiar with it, that doesn't understand these, these the Pentecostal expressions. Uh, these outsiders, how are they going to say amen to your thanksgiving when they don't even know what you're saying? You may well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up, and that's the issue. How I many know it's more important about the body, come on, than it is my individual right? Uh, listen, we've had people in our church today, if you tried to just real, do anything that draws attention to yourself and worship, I think is out of order. Listen, dancing before the Lord's appropriate, but if during the worship service, if you just start running that, that aisle in circles real fast, what's everybody in this church going to do? They're going to take their eyes off Jesus and put their eyes on who? On you. So we're going to ask you to stop doing that. Well, you just quench the spirit. Yeah, but you need to get off your ego horse just a second because there's other people here other than you. You should have come to this first service this morning. Verse 23. If the whole church comes together and everybody's speaking in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Now, isn't that kind of what they said on the day of Pentecost? You've probably done this, but, you know, you made fun of Pentecostal people sometimes. But didn't they make fun of Pentecostal peoples on the day of Pentecost? Didn't they say they're drunk? But what did Peter say? No way, baby. This is Joel. Come on. And this is, uh, this is the last days. Verse, verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever uh, or an outsider comes in, listen, he's convicted He's called to account in verse 25. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. He falls on his face and he'll worship God and he'll declare that God really is among you. What does that mean? Supernatural communication can touch a person's heart, can break through all their barriers and change their life. We're going to close this way. I want to show you a little testimony. I got this off the Billy Graham website and it's about a woman who is suicidal and she came to church, and this spirit talk was happening. Somebody had a word of knowledge about her suicide, and it turned her life around. Take a peek at this, and then we'll close in prayer. On the day that I planned to commit suicide, I came home from school, and my grandma was there, and she wasn't supposed to be there. And she looked at me and said, there's something wrong with you. You're going to go to church. I was like, no way I'm going to church. And she screamed at the top of her lungs like we were fighting back and forth and I just didn't want to listen to her yell anymore. And so I decided, fine, I'll go. And then afterwards, I'll go ahead and follow through with my plan. So I went to the back of the church and slumped down in my chair and hated everybody in the room and the pastor started speaking, and I hated him more than anyone. And he says, there's a suicidal spirit in the room. And of course, all the hair stood up on the back of my neck, and I was, well, this is really weird. <laughs> and I got up and went to the door. A white-headed man was standing there, and he stopped me. And it was like, the Lord wants me to speak to you. He wants you to know that even though you've never known an earthly father, 
that God will be a better father to you than any earthly father could ever be. God knows the pain in your heart. He has seen you cry yourself to sleep at night. The idea was so overwhelming to me. He's like, do you want me to pray for you so that Jesus can take the pain out of your heart? He put his hand on my shoulder and started to pray. It was as if the God of the universe showed up right in front of me. And the first thing I noticed was that God was holy and good. Jesus saved my life and on top of everything else, the life of my son and the new baby. That wouldn't be if Jesus hadn't intervened and rescued me. Wow. I want to have church like that. How about you? But an amazing thing when she said, Jesus rescued me. But how did he do it? He did it through spirit talk. The Holy Spirit told the pastor there was a spirit of suicide in the room. And that she said, as I was leaving, there was a man that came up to me. Isn't it great that man came up to her? What would have happened if that man was like my friend who I prophesied over, who knew what to say but didn't say it? And that man came up to me and said, your heavenly father loves you because you hadn't had an earthly father. And do you want me to pray for you that Jesus can take the pain away? And I think you saw that he did. See, supernatural communication, come on, can pierce through the mind, the barriers, the hurts, the pain, come on, all that stuff, and God can bring the change that we desperately need. Listen, I don't know about you, but I want to be that kind of Christian. And I don't know about you, but I want our church to be that kind of church where people are coming together to worship the Lord, to encourage everyone that's here, but where God's Holy Spirit might be welcome, come on, where we can be truly blessed and ministered to. Why don't you stand to your feet, and we're going to have a song, and we're going to close in prayer. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit just to visit you right now. As you're just sitting here before you sneak off to lunch, I think you need to say, ask this question. Say, Lord, what are you saying to me? This is a lot this morning. But Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? We simply opened the pages of the Bible and saw that God is a supernatural God. The supernatural God showed up when Paul was in a crisis. That same supernatural God appeared to my grandfather. That same supernatural God somehow spoke to a girl in church. Holy Spirit, I want that. Would you just say that with me? Say, Lord, I want that. I, I want every good thing that you have for my life. I want every good thing. I don't want to be, be deceived and manipulated, and I'm going to trust you with that. And I'll always go to the Bible to make sure that what I'm, what I'm hearing is, is, is true. But Holy Spirit, there's more than I've got. There's a supernatural element to Christianity that I desperately want. Would you just slip your hands up to heaven if that's you? Say, Lord, I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want you to do for me what you did for the fellow believers in the book of Acts. God, I want to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That's what the Bible says to do. I want to earnestly desire. I don't want to be half-hearted. And I certainly don't want to be antagonistic. I want to earnestly desire the manifestations of God in my life. And Lord, I offer myself to you afresh so that my life can make a difference. Because I know I need spiritual power to reach His people in this world for Christ. Welcome, Holy Spirit, in my life today. I just surrender my life to you. And I give you the right to do anything in me you want to. Use me, Lord. Welcome, Holy Spirit. I want to close with a personal prayer for you this morning. We'll be honored to pray with you about anything today. We always take time in our service. And I, 
I'd ask if you need prayer, just take a minute or two. The men and women in this altar here, they're, they're prayed up for you. And it could well be that something supernatural could happen during that prayer. One of our team came to me last night after church and she said, you know what? Someone came to me in the altar for prayer and she said they were suicidal and they committed their life to Christ right after the service yesterday. See, big things can happen. Don't ever come to church with a huge burden and your life is overwhelmed and leave church with it. That's what prayer is about. It may not make the burden disappear, but I'll tell you what, it'll make life a lot different when God's in the saddle with you. We'll pray about any needs you have, but maybe something in this message really touched you. Maybe you've had a bad experience with something about the Holy Spirit and, and you want to come and just say, I, I just want, I want to start afresh with God in this area of my life. Maybe you're seeking what we talked about read in the Bible, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you'd like to have that prayer language that we were talking about. Maybe you just simply want somebody to pray for you that you'd have spiritual gifts in your life. It's very biblical. Whatever it may be, we'd be honored to pray. But hear this, the most important part of this prayer is maybe you're here and maybe you need to give your life to Christ. Maybe the biggest need in your life today is that Jesus Christ becomes your Lord and Savior. See, going to church doesn't make you a Christian surrendering your life to Christ and turning to follow Him. You see, and if that's you right now, it's almost as if I'm speaking directly to you. Well, guess what? God is using my voice to talk to you and saying, come and follow Christ. Put your life in His hands. Ask for His forgiveness. Commit your life to Him. And he'll give you the life you've always dreamed of having. So whatever your needs are this morning, I'm going to ask our prayer team, if they'll come out of their chairs right now, they're going to gather at the altar. They'll be here as long as you need them. But our prayer team is coming now. And if you need prayer for anything, if you feel drawn, you want people to pray for you, you come. We'd be honored to pray today. God bless you. I love you very much. Let's just sing, Pastor. You come and we'll pray for you. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. 